0: This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Okay, if you would turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to look at a few other passages as well. And I just want to kinda of, uh do kind of a brief meditation here tonight on uh uh this doxology uh before us here. And this is the second one in this book and this is something that Paul uh is, is, is not unusual for Paul. Uh and, and by the way, it's just uh <laughs> It's just one of those things that amazes me, especially in our in our day where there's such a downplay on uh, on doctrine in among churches, among many Christian churches. And uh, there's this notion that it gets in the way of true worship. when in reality, uh, doctrine doesn't hinder worship at all. Doctrine informs worship. And so often when you're when you're reading uh for example again Paul's writing he'll be in the middle of discussing deep doctrine like in Romans when he just breaks forth in a, into a doxology giving praise to God. Um the the knowledge of who God is and what God has done and how he's done it and so forth doctrine um provokes praise. True doctrine that is. So this is the case here. Here, Paul is talking, as we've said so many times, about how we are to conduct ourselves in the church. And the focus, again, the focus here is doctrine. He's he's confronting and uh, reproving false doctrine, and he's exhorting Timothy concerning um, true doctrine. And so, uh, it's all about doctrine and godliness. So, uh, teaching and practice. And and uh, again, in, in the midst of all of that, uh, he he breaks into praise, um, uh, doxology concerning the Lord. The first one. Now let's just look at it real quick. In in chapter one, verse seventeen, you may remember. Now to the now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So here, again, Paul is in the midst of confronting uh, false doctrine and instructing Timothy on what to do about it, talking about godliness and how how true godliness accords with or agrees with sound doctrine. Um, And he goes into a little bit of his own testimony here. Um, Verse 14, The grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant, with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. And contemplating all of these things... <laughs> Brings Paul to say in verse 17, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Which, uh, Amen, the Hebrew word for so be it. Um, brings forth praise from the heart of Paul. Now we have a similar thing in chapter 6. And here, um, <clears throat> look at verse 13. Uh, well, actually, we, I think last week we, we started along verse 12. Um, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appears. There again is the emphasis on doctrine and practice, sound doctrine, and godliness. I urge you to keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which He will manifest in His own time. Reference to the second coming. And then he goes into the doxology. He who is the blessed and only potentate, or sovereign, uh, some translations say. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. He sums it up again with with the the affirmation. So be it. That word, Amen. By the way, if you've got a uh, uh, old King James, oftentimes Jesus uh, will say will start a saying by. Saying, verily, 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 I say unto you. Or some of the new translations, it will say, truly, truly. Truly, truly, I say unto you. It's the word, Amen. Jesus is saying, Amen, Amen, I say unto you. In other words, He's, he's putting emphasis there. This is the true saying. This is <clears throat> this is true. And, and He says it twice to emphasize that. Amen, Amen. And so Paul is, is uh, doing, as we do here, putting it on the end of this statement. Saying, so be it. To God alone be honor and everlasting power. Amen. So be it. Well, <clears throat> now, what what is he saying about God? First of all, back to verse 15, He is happy God. <laughs> That's what the word blessed there means. It's the Greek word for happy. He is the happy God. That's the second time, uh, as a matter of fact, that Paul has used that uh, phrase. Go back to chapter one again. Look look at uh, well verse eleven, but it's that's the middle of a the sentence there. He again he's discussing false doctrine there, and then he says in verse ten. Um, and if at the at the end of verse ten, if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, so he's making that contrast between false doctrine and sound doctrine. And now he's in a description about sound doctrine. Anything contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, the happy God, according to the, the glorious gospel of the happy God, which was committed to my trust. So Paul brings that up there and he brings it up again here. God is happy. I want to tell you something. That's uh, that's something that um, I think we don't consider uh, maybe enough, or at least at least I don't. At least I'm guilty of that. Don't consider that enough, and, and what that what that means. God is happy. Let me let me just kind of uh, emphasize that by by putting it in the in the negative. Imagine if He were unhappy. The unhappy. God. Imagine if he were moody. Now, those are things that we, you know, common to us, right? And, uh, and, my, and my kids could tell you what it's like to deal with a moody or, or frustrated father. But praise, praise God, as children of God, we don't deal with a moody or frustrated or unhappy heavenly Father. He's happy. Now think about that for a moment. He's he's satisfied. When, when we talk about being happy, that's that's kind of at the core of it, isn't it? Satisfaction. In 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 uh, terms of our own life, we think of things like what, what 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 would what would it be to be happy? Well, we think of things like fulfillment. Right? Satisfaction. And I I like that word, satisfaction. And I think that's a great description of God. He's satisfied. There, there's never, He's never lacked anything. There's never been anything that He, that He needed, that He wished that He had, that He couldn't have. He's fully satisfied and always has been. He, He lives in infinite satisfaction he didn't create out of some kind of need god has always throughout eternity dwelled in infinite satisfaction and he's happy now let me just give you a couple of passages that i think kind of kind of bear that out look at um and then we'll go into the next phrase here but look at isaiah 46 and there are others but i'm just going to give you a couple so we don't Spend much time here tonight, but um, Isaiah 46, and that's that's what I mean. That's, that's built into the term "blessed" too. By the way, I'm just I'm just giving you the the literal rendering. Uh, the Greek word there means happy, but the word "blessed" includes those things: happy, satis, satisfaction, um, prosperity, that kind of thing. Um, Isaiah 46 and nine. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. By the way, these great, great verses in, uh, uh, Isaiah 46 concerning the, uh, uh, concerning the nature of God, the fact that he is the only God, the only living God. Um, so he says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. This is going to be important in a moment. Declaring the end from the beginning, that is, he speaks about the end because and he does that at the beginning because he knows what's going to happen at the end that 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 gives us a little bit of a hint in or insight into uh, why he's not frustrated, right? Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done saying, My counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. Isn't that amazing how he ties his his uh, omnipotence? The word just means all powerful. He ties his omnipotence, his his decree, his will, and his pleasure altogether. I am God, there is no other. In other words, there's, there's, there's nobody that's going to thwart my will. There's not a bigger God out there. In fact, there's not another God out there. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient time, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel should stand, I will do all my pleasure. He takes pleasure in his own works, and he and he does them, and nobody can stop him. And, and incidentally, let me say this too. I was reading an article because um, this is another great thing to me about uh, well, about all that the Bible says about God, but but uh, specifically uh, here thinking about his happiness. Um, that, that's a uh, attribute of personality. God is a personal God. I was reading an article just a couple of days ago. Um, on a CNN blog site from Deepak Chopra. Um, he's a, if you're not familiar with him, he's just a famous guru. And, uh, it was just more of the same gobbledygook that he puts out every, every time I, you know, look at something by him. But at any rate, he was, he was basically first saying <laughs> that, that there is no God. Of course, he talks a lot about God. Like I say, he's a new age guru, but he's got a totally different concept. His concept is of a non-personal God. But then he goes into all this stuff about, and after he talks about how the Bible can't be true, he starts talking about how the universe itself may have a consciousness. And that's where we get ours from. What he's trying to do is explain why we have intelligence and personality. And uh, Darwinism and evolution just doesn't quite explain why... Um you can love or hate or be happy or mad. It, it it falls short of explaining emotions and personality and even information. So that's what he was trying to do. But he's talking about a total impersonal God. That's his concept of God. That's the concept that a lot of people have today. They they use familiar terms to us. You know, they they say things like God and Christ and that kind of. Even some of them even use terms like Savior, but uh, they're not talking about the God of the Bible. Our God, the God that Paul's talking about, is the living God, and He is a person. Happiness is a personal attribute. Let me give you one more because I, I really like on this uh, on this one before we move on. This is one of my favorite ones here. Haggai, uh, I'm sorry, Zephaniah, not Haggai, Zephaniah chapter 3. That's a little bitty book, minor prophet. So, go to uh, the book of Daniel and turn right, okay, flip through the pages there. Until you find Zephaniah. Hopefully I'll get there myself here pretty quick. Chapter 3, verse 17. Love this passage. Of course, here the uh, Old Testament uh, prophet Zephaniah, God, God is speaking through the Old Testament prophet Zephaniah. Um, concerning Israel, and the people of God, the Old Testament people of God, but again, by implication, it's applicable to us. Verse 17, The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. <laughs> He will rejoice over you with gladness. That is you, His people, believers. The Lord your God in the midst of you is mighty. The mighty one, it says here in the New King James. He will save. He will rest in His love. Or He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. Leslie, you better uh, kill this one and turn that other one up, please. Turn the pulpit mic up and kill this one. Uh, Energizer Bunny is about to give up the ghost. Um, the Lord your God in the midst, the Mighty One will save. He will rejoice, rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Do you, you see how his his rejoicing and happiness is emphasized there over this time? Not, not over his works in general or, or his uh, decrees or commands concerning history, um, prophecies, but this time over his people. And, and think about his joy in his own son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, frankly, that's the only reason he's pleased with us. <laughs> it's because he's pleased with Jesus. And where are we? In Christ. In Christ. So, uh, uh, there's no... When like when you look at Zephaniah 3.17 and you see God rejoicing over us. I mean, that's awesome, awesome truth. But there's no basis for pride there. We can't say, well, you know what? He's, he's so proud of us because we're so great. No, he's, he's rejoicing over his son. He's well pleased with Jesus. And he's well pleased with us because we're in Christ. Because the righteousness of Christ, the merit of Christ, is put to our account. So He treats us as though um, as though we had merited it ourselves. I mean, Christ's righteousness is put to our account. God is pleased with us. He's the happy God, never frustrated. Never unhappy. Now, now certainly, uh, God is, is, uh, is angry uh, with sinners. The Bible declares that. But when I say never unhappy, I mean uh, in the sense that uh, his, his will is, is thwarted or undone or something like that. Like something caught him off guard and so uh, made him frustrated. Never the case. Never the case. Sure, go ahead. yeah that, well i i i think he speaks on our level the, the, those are called anthropopathisms <laughs> and 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 uh, yes God has emotions and he he's, he's, he's anger and grief and happiness. but there are times um when it speaks in terms that we can understand and and uh I think it has to be understood, uh, again, up against other, other revelation we have in Scripture. In other words, it, it, like it says, it repented God that He made man. All right? Um, well, did God really change His mind? And when you get over uh, toward the flood, Genesis 6, and He looks on man. and did, did God really say, uh, I've made a mistake? I wish I'd never made man. I, I don't think that's the idea there. I think it's just communicating to us in a way that we can understand that God was indeed uh, grieved, as you said, by the sinfulness of man. But it's it's not meaning, and this is what I'm trying to be clear about, it's not meaning that he did not see that coming. He knew it was coming all along. Before he ever created, he knew that was going to happen. Um, He had determined before the foundation of the world to send his only begotten Son to save sinners. So he knew sin was... Was coming, he knew exactly what it was going to do. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So, so he knew the whole story, just as we saw in Isaiah, the end from the beginning. But he communicates to us in in such a way that his uh, that that well, let me say it this way: his emotions are communicated to us in a way that we can that we can grasp. You know, because that would be the case with us, wouldn't it? We'd say if if we did something and and then it went bad, we would say, oh, I wish I'd never you know done that kind of thing but uh, yeah i don't think it means that he it, it caught him off guard but grieve yes yes i think he's grieved at sin and uh always has been and that's a, a, you know again uh, an 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 attribute of god in infinite uh grief or displeasure with sin Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's extremely important. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. He's, he is personal. And, and he, yes, he has emotions. And, and that's the reason we do. That's part of our being created in his image. The, the, again, the difference is that, that ours are so unstable and, and uh, move with, you know, circumstances. And uh, I would say that's not true of God. Um,. And then Paul goes on to say, and I'm back here in, in verse 15, he is the blessed and only potentate, again, sovereign. In other words, he's, he's the all-sovereign one. In fact, he, he emphasis, emphasizes that fact with the next phrase, King of kings and Lord of lords. The blessed and only sovereign, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, it may be here uh, that, that Paul, uh, because he uses the word only, has uh, specifically in mind, for example... Emperor worship, because this was uh, part of the Roman Empire. In other words, he would be making a statement. You know, you, the Romans have all these sovereigns, you know, the different emperors. One, one is uh, comes up for a while and he's declared to be God, but then he dies and another one takes his place or he's killed or whatever. And Paul says, no, the blessed. This God, and Jesus, is the blessed and only sovereign. King of kings and Lord of lords. Not just a king or a lord, but king of kings and Lord of lords. He is totally, completely sovereign. The all-powerful one. Now, let me try to say this quickly. Um, John Piper, uh, in his book Desiring God, pointed out, and I think correctly so, that this is the basis... For God's happiness, this being his sovereignty. God's sovereignty is the basis for his happiness. And what do you mean by that? Well, just just what I was getting at a few moments ago, um, he's never frustrated when he wills to do something, when he plans to do something, when he when he acts to do something, uh, it, it always comes to pass. He is never because he's sovereign. He's all powerful. Uh, who who is going to thwart his will? No one. That's what. That's essentially what he's saying in Isaiah 46. I'm the only God. There is no other. I do all my pleasure. Psalm 115. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. He's sovereign in every aspect of of creation, of our lives. He's sovereign. He does according to his own good pleasure, and he's never frustrated. His will always comes to pass. So you could say, again, his sovereignty is the basis for his Happiness, you know, we, we tr- kind of trick ourselves because uh, we get a false notion sometimes that we're sovereign. <laughs> and and we, we decide we're going to do something and we think we're going to pull it off or maybe we do pull it off and then we're happy, right? Because we got our way. So that's, that's kind of the way it works there, except that, obviously, uh, with our corrupt hearts, um, our will is, uh, is uh, questionable. I mean, it's not, it's not good. God's will is. God's will is always good, and He always accomplishes what He determines to do. No, nobody can stop Him. Nobody can stay His hand, the Scripture says. He does what He pleases. So He's the happy and only sovereign, King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no other, as Isaiah said, who alone has immortality. That is, it's, it's inherent now, now you could say well aren't we immortal aren't we going to aren't we going to live forever um, yes but our immortality is derived it's 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 a gift and it's part of creation you know god created us to live forever and besides when you speak of true uh eternality which i think is implied here when when you when you uh in fact uh, that term is used, everlasting God, in, in various places. But when you speak of true eternality, we don't fit there because we've got a starting point. So we're looking forward to well, you know, what we call eternity future, but we've got a date we can look back to where we started, um, our, our date of conception. Not that we know what that is, you know, but, you know, we've got a birthday that we know. What were you going to say, Leslie? It looked like you were going to say something. Oh, well, it, 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 it's hot. It'll, it'll get me. Um, we have a starting point. So we, when you speak of true eternality, we don't fit there, but God does. And, and again, his, his eternality, his immortality is not derived, it's inherent. He's, he is the source and the origin of all life. He is the only one. Listen, I, I was listening to uh, a statement, and I've heard this many, many times. And it's just almost unbelievable. Uh, if, if any of you are familiar with uh, Kenneth Copeland, uh, television preacher, this, it's a quote by Kenneth Copeland. Um, they they basically teach you know that we're all little gods and uh, he and I'm, I'm gonna have to paraphrase here because I don't remember it verbatim but he makes this statement Kenneth Copeland has that when I read where you say I am I just smile and say I am too it's utterly ridiculous um, when in 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 the Scripture, when the Lord says "I am," now Jesus did say that in John eight fifty eight. Um, but when the when the Lord said "I am," Moses said, "Who who do I tell him sent me?" Remember that the Lord said told Moses, "You go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go." And uh, Moses said, uh, you know, he's wondering, "Who am I going to tell the people, the Jews? You know, who who do I tell him sent me?" And the Lord said, "Tell him I am." Sent you, and what the Lord is saying is. Uh, I'm sure a lot more than this, but at least we know this much. What the Lord is saying is, uh, I exist because I exist. In other words, for me and and for Kenneth Copeland, whether he likes it or not, we have to say, I have to say, I am because he is. But God just says, I am that I am. I am because I am. He is the only one uh, who is inherently immortal. Uh, he alone is the source and origin of all life. He is the only true being. The rest of us are constantly becoming. That is, we, we exist. We're constantly changing. If you don't believe that, look in the mirror and then wait about two or three weeks before you look again or something like that. And you'll see change. One of the old philosophers, and I can't remember who it was, said you, you can never step in the same river twice. You know why that is? Because the, the water is always moving. And so just you step down in the water and step out and you step back in, that's a different river. I mean, because that water you stepped in the first time's gone downstream. And that's that's the way it is with us. We're and with all of creation. We're constantly moving. We're constantly becoming. God is being. That's why he says, I am. Notice the present tense. I am that I am. He alone has immortality, dwelling in an unapproachable light. So he is happy. He is sovereign and He is holy. He dwells in unapproachable light. Now, light's often used in the Scripture uh, to, uh, in reference to God and usually to describe His, his purity, his, his holiness. And you can think of places, uh, well, even, for example, in the New Testament when, when uh, Paul, Saul of Tarsus encountered Jesus and he was blinded by a light brighter than the noonday sun. God is holy. That's the idea there. Or when Jesus was transfigured right before His disciples and his, even His clothing got whiter than any uh, launderer could ever get a white piece of garment. Because of the purity, the holiness. And it's not just light, Paul says, it's unapproachable light. For us, it's, He's unapproachable he is holy. Now, this, this is one of the things that troubles me the most about modern day and especially American Christianity. We're losing this concept of the holiness of God. In our services, in our own personal lives, in our quiet times, whatever, we need to remember God is holy. If you go back to Leviticus 10, I have to turn there now. You can read it for yourself. But... Uh, or, or uh, well, let me just read one verse. Turn there if you want to, or I'm going to be quick though. Um, when Aaron's sons offered uh, a strange offering before the Lord, incense that he had not commanded, uh, he struck them dead. I mean, fire came out from the Lord. In verse two, Leviticus ten two. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke. Now, now think about this. Here's the high priest, Aaron. This is the brother of Moses. Here's Moses, God's man, brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. His brother, the high priest, Aaron. Aaron's two sons, Nahab, Nadab and Abihu. And they are appointed to do the work. In the tabernacle, they're doing what they were appointed by God to do, except He didn't command them to do this particular offering of incense. They just kind of took it upon themselves. You know, we're going to do something here, and hopefully the Lord will be pleased with it. He wasn't, because He didn't command it. And so fire went out from Him and and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. Brothers and sisters, that's still in force. I mean, what what prevents fire from consuming us is just God's grace. Really the same reason that fire didn't consume Moses and Aaron and all the whole camp of israel and the egyptians and, and the whole world just God's grace i must be regarded as holy and before all the people i must be glorified and so aaron who just lost two of his sons right before his right before his eyes he stood there and watched them be consumed by fire from the lord Aaron held his peace. God had spoken. He's holy. He's unapproachable. Now it's it's hard if I guess well I think really impossible to fully appreciate the good news of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us unless we understand That God is unapproachable. He is infinitely holy. And we are on the other extreme. If there's anything infinite about us, it's our corruption. And so He dwells, Paul says, He dwells in unapproachable light. You don't just run up to Him and hug Him or say... Hey, how's it going? You know, I heard a, a story the other day of, to, to kind of uh, kind of making this point and at the same time talking about the arrogance a lot of times of uh, Americans. You know, we're kind of known for that around the world, some places. And uh, the story was that uh, Babe Ruth was uh, invited to meet with the King of England. And I can't remember if it was here or or in England. If, you know, if he was over there traveling or if the King was over here traveling but at any rate I guess he wanted to meet Babe Ruth and Babe Ruth wanted to meet him. and so they coached Babe Ruth on all the proper etiquette, how to greet him, what to do, you know and I don't know what it all was, but they, they coached him on all that. and then when the time came to the meet to meet, Babe Ruth walked in and said, hey King, Well, you know, it is a little bit funny with with human beings, but it's not funny at all with with God. I must be regarded as holy by those who come near me. I must be glorified among the people, the Lord says. He's the happy God. He's a sovereign God. He's the holy God. And He's worthy of all praise. That's why Paul finishes out that statement. To whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Amen. Paul Paul said, he's, He's immortal. He's invisible. He dwells in unapproachable light. He's blessed. He's the only wise God. He's the only sovereign. To him be glory forever and ever and ever. Read Revelation 4 and 5, and you'll see that song sung. To him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be glory and honor, power, majesty, and praise. However, it's all worded forever and ever and ever. And they just continually sing that and sing that and sing that because he's worthy. Because he's worthy. He's the only one who is worthy. Here's Timothy, pastor in Ephesus. And he's having problems. He's being confronted with false teaching. And, you know, just people who oppose him. He's preaching the truth, and Paul's instructing him. And you get over into Second Timothy, and you, you see that that's what he continues to do: preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word. Paul's telling him preach the truth, encouraging him to do that. He's preaching the truth, and he's meeting opposition in the church. In the church, people don't want to hear the truth. It's disturbing. what does Paul do? He reminds Timothy who God is. Timothy, don't forget who God is. The only sovereign, the happy God, the holy God. The only one worthy of praise and glory and honor. He's saying, don't forget that, Timothy. That's what matters. You work and you strive and you preach to the glory of God. You stand for the truth. Father, we thank You for Your Word and for insight into Your very nature and character. As we just read, You're you're unapproachable. In and of ourselves, there is absolutely no way That we would ever have any hope of knowing anything about You. Much much less coming to You and fellowshipping with You. We're able to do those things because You revealed Yourself. You made Yourself known. And because You made a way for us in Christ to draw near. And because You made us part of Your family. Lord, help us, enable us to stand for the truth, for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.